if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is. And a good morning to you. Thank you so much for joining us on AM 1420. The answer is we get your morning started at eight minutes after the hour of nine o'clock. It's a free for all Friday, although it won't be very free for all, at least in terms of calls. We have a lot of things that we're going to do today that we have to get done and some important people to talk to. But it is the first morning of the fifth month of the year of our Lord 2020. It's the day that we were supposed to be returning to some semblance of freedom here in the state of Ohio. May 1st was the target that we had all had our sights set upon ever since the first house arrest order from the unelected director of health in the state of Ohio, Dr. Lab Code Amy Acton, uh, put in place. The first order was a 15-day lockdown. 15 days, that's all. Got to flatten the curve. Can't have too many people going into the hospital because of this terrible, deadly plague at the same time. It's going to overwhelm the hospital system. It's going to overwhelm all of the medical health facility, uh, uh, care facilities. So 15 days, we got to just chill, everybody. We got to make sure everybody stays put. Just a couple of weeks, all good. A couple of weeks, no biggie. Then we'll get right back to business. Except that when those two weeks ended, Dr. Labcoat, with full authority and permission granted her by Governor Mike Nospine, I mean DeWine, sorry, autocorrect there, mental verbal autocorrect, Dr. Labcoat said, two weeks wasn't really enough to flatten the curve. We really, really have a serious curve here that has to be flattened, you know. Did you know? That, that we're going to see a peak of 98,000 cases in the state of Ohio per day? That that's coming in the month of March? Well, we have to be prepared for that, Dr. Labcoat said. So we're going to lock everybody down for another, another 30 days. So for the entire month of April, we're going to have to do that. So in two weeks of March, and then... Four weeks, 30 days of April, but then on May 1st, well, we should have had that curve flattened like a son of a gun. We should be fine then. May 1st, it's back to business. Let's get back out to living and enjoying the freedom that this great, beautiful country of ours affords all Americans. And so we waited. 
We said, all right, May 1st. Spring's going to be here. It's going to be time to get outside. We can start opening things back up again. We can start going to restaurants, having parties, having weddings, having graduations, having graduation parties, getting kids back involved in their sports. May 1st. All right. We'll suck it up until then. And then what happened yesterday? On April 30th, Governor Mike DeWine allows Amy Acton, the unelected Amy Acton, who has to answer to no one that she is destroying, says, yeah, we're going to do this for another 30 days. Extending the lockdown. Oh, I'm sorry, the shelter-in-place order. Tomato, tomato. Lockdown, shelter-in-place, house arrest. It all has the same effect. Another 30 days. Now we're looking at May 29th. That's a new target for your, uh, for your lives to be restarted again. Oh, by the way, those of you who still have lives, those of you who still have jobs to go back to, those whose businesses don't crumble under the weight of debt, and lack of revenue being generated for two and a half solid months. Eh, Those of you who can survive that two and a half months of closure, well, May 29th, we can start, well, we can start talking then about reopening those businesses, if they have survived. And only, by the way, on a basis that we decide, so that you can't even go back to earning full revenue to try to catch up and make up for what you lost for two and a half months. We're going we're gonna, to uh, control the environment of commerce in this state. I don't want to get too far into the weeds on that. But the bottom line is yesterday, Amy Acton ordered, and I'm, and I'm sitting here staring at this order. And i got to tell you, it's very frustrating and painful to listen to. Amy, I, Amy Acton. Director of the Ohio Department of Health, pursuant to the authority granted to me and RC, that's revised code 3701.13, to make special orders for prevention of spread of contagious or infectious diseases. Order, in bold face, the following to prevent the spread of COVID-19 in the state of Ohio. And it goes on to explain what was explained yesterday. (sighs) Governor Mike DeWine yesterday at his press briefing and in an impromptu interview with a Cincinnati radio host yesterday afternoon, said that he's tired of people coming after Amy Acton, that if they want to come after anybody, come after him, because he's the one who appointed her. He said he's a big boy. He's a big boy. And he can handle the criticism. Okay. Well, we invited the big boy to come back on these airwaves again. He declined. So the big boy, he doesn't want me coming after Amy Acton because I am coming after him for appointing Amy Acton. Doesn't want to answer my questions anymore. Now, I'm not surprised by that. I have gone on the radio and called for his impeachment as governor of the state of Ohio. I know that will never happen because of the weasels that we have in the Ohio General Assembly. The frightened, scared weasels 
and we're talking about Republicans in charge of the state house who are afraid to go after one of their own, even though they are seeing their own districts, people, their neighbors, business owners, employees being destroyed by Mike DeWine's actions and Amy Acton's actions. They're not going to do anything. Nino Vitale told me yesterday, too many of them are term limited, and which means they don't have to run for re-election, which means they don't have to answer to those people, the voters. And rather than doing that, they're all angling for appointed positions from the governor. So they're not going to go after the governor. I will. But Mike DeWine won't come on, the big boy. Won't come on and answer my questions. Fortunately, Lieutenant Governor John Husted has no such problems. I am hoping. He is scheduled to join me in less than one hour. Lieutenant Governor John Husted to speak for the DeWine Acton administration, if you will. He's supposed to come on at 1010. And I'm hoping he does. I'm counting on it. I'm counting on somebody having the guts to answer the tough questions. And I've got many tough questions. And the most important of these, of course, is why. Three letters, short word, massive, massive response required. Why did they extend the order yesterday? There is no health crisis in the state of Ohio that threatens to overrun our health system, our health care facilities, our hospitals. Dr. Acton said in early March there were 100,000 active cases in Ohio at the time. She was wrong. She then predicted that peak of 98,000 new cases per day. She was wrong. Everything she said was wrong. Every model. Our hospitals are empty. Healthcare workers are laid off because there are no patients to serve. The curve has been flattened like a son of a gun. And I'm going to ask Lieutenant Governor Husted. If the curve has been flattened, which was the stated goal of the original 15-day lockdown, and then the stated goal of the 30 days of April lockdown, and if that curve has been flattened, that goal has been met, why, there's that small word with the massive uh, connotation, that small word that requires a very, very detailed answer, why has this order been extended again? Why are they constantly moving the goalposts? That's what I want to hear most of all from Lieutenant Governor John Husted. Why are Ohioans still trapped in their homes? Why are businesses still forced to be shuttered? Why are people still being treated like we are children who have been put in time out for our own good? By Big Daddy, who knows what's best for us. Why? Yesterday, Governor DeWine said that the walking lab coat has done a phenomenal job. I want to know what she's done that's been so phenomenal. She's been wrong in her predictions. She's directly responsible with her orders for over a million Ohioans put out of work, thousands of Ohio business owners who have lost their businesses forever. I want to know these things. I put up on my social media yesterday, particularly my Facebook page, 
um, that I have Lieutenant Governor Houston on today, and I want to know what you want to know. Obviously, I got hundreds of questions. I can't ask them all. I'm going to try to work in a question or two or three from that long list. But I uh, have to tell you, uh, the most important thing that I'm going to demand from Lieutenant Governor Husted, and if he and his his folks and his advanced people are listening right now, please make him aware I will treat him with respect and I will treat him fairly, the same way I did with Governor DeWine two weeks ago. Uh, this will not be an assault, but I am going to make sure that I get an answer. I am going to ask how and why it is that the ex- uh, stay-at-home order has been extended when the goal of the stay-at-home order that was laid out by Amy Acton herself has been met and met many times over. The directives that they are giving right now are not about health. If they were about health, they would be altered. They are about control because there is the the health of a lot of people who have never, ever, ever been infected by COVID-19 that is being ignored by the walking lab coat. Their suicide uh, calls to the suicide hotline are on the rise. Alcohol-related deaths are on the rise. This isn't just about nationwide. Drug overdoses are on the rise. Drug use is on the rise. Domestic violence is on the rise. Do these lives not matter? Are the only lives that matter the ones that are infected or affected by COVID-19? That's what we're going to talk about. Peter Kirstenau is going to make a surprise appearance. It's not much of a surprise anymore. I just told you, but he's going to make a uh, special appearance, rather, coming up at 935 and uh, try to break down some of this, some of this with us. Lieutenant Governor Husted at 1010 this morning. You're not going to want to miss that conversation. Trust me when I tell you that. If you want to get in... Get in as soon as you can at 216-901-0945 on AM 1420 The Answer. All hell breaks loose, alarm and sirens will like the game if you lose. Twenty-five. We continue AM fourteen twenty. The answer. We get a few phone calls in here to uh, wrap up the first half hour because we do have Peter Kersenow second half hour. We have Lieutenant Governor John Husted uh, coming up at ten ten this morning to talk about the ongoing assault on the Ohio economy, the ongoing assault on Ohio workers, Ohio business owners, and more for purposes not clearly stated or defended by the Mike DeWine gubernatorial administration. Uh, let's go to uh, North Ridgeville. And Chuck, you are on AM 1420 The Answer. Good morning, Chuck. Go ahead. Uh, good morning, Bob. Thanks for letting me on. I just want to announce that uh, tomorrow at 2 o'clock, the Summit County Tea Party is putting on a rally to free Ohio. Uh, it's at Route 91 in Graham Road. And okay. We have to keep rallying, but uh, I've been saying emulate what our forefathers did. Uh, violate any and all illegal mandates, state or federal, and perpetuate those freedoms given to us by those who died for them. So it's not just about us. And 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 I'll tell you this, I I salute the effort and the intention, uh, and thank you for the call, my friend. Um, I question and I wonder about the effectiveness, however. Um, And I say that because of um, something actually that a friend wrote uh, and posted on Facebook that I had to respond to yesterday, who said we need to be more like Michigan. 
and speaking specifically of the massive uh, rallies that are taking place in Michigan at the State House um, against Gretchen Whitmer's unconstitutional lockdown of that state, which is just getting worse and worse and worse, to be 100% honest with you. And, um, and my response to that was, I love, again, the same thing I said with you. I appreciate the effort and I appreciate the intention, but the truth of the matter is it, it isn't working. In response to all of those massive protests up in Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer did the same thing yesterday that Mike DeWine allowed Amy Acton to do. Um, she extended the shutdown in Michigan, I think, indefinitely. So I want you to think about that for just a moment. The response, the louder we get, it seems, at least in some places, the louder that we get, the more protests that we have, uh, the more they just look at us and flip us the bird and say, okay, we're extending the lockdown even further. We're extending the shelter-in-place protective orders even further. So it's a very frustrating thing. I want to protest, too. I don't know that it necessarily is going to have the effect that we want it to. Uh, let's go to Gail calling us from Menor on AM 14. Hi. Answer. Hi, Gail. Hi, thank you. Uh, I just want to say that um, the state senator trying to pass a bill has 39 signatures, and he needs 50 out of 99. Some won't sign because there are term limits, and they won't want to cross spineless. I thought they're supposed to represent the people of their district. Their names and pictures should be posted somewhere with coward written across. We have thousand unemployed in Ohio, and they need to go back to work now, not tomorrow, now. They yeah. should be ashamed of themselves. They should hang their heads low and slither along the ground like the worms they are. Gail, who, uh, who, who wrote the bill? Who wrote the bill? Oh, the one that you had that you interviewed yesterday. Is this is he a state senator or? Is oh he no, he's a state um, representative, and it's not a bill. Yeah, it's not oh, okay. a bill. No, it's, okay, see, that's the, the thing, because I asked him about that. So, okay, I thought there was something else happening on the Senate side. No, oh, we're talking no, no, about... no, no, no. That, yeah, we're talking about... That was State Senator uh, Vitale, or State Representative, rather, uh, uh, Vitale, who um, yes, uh, told I me directly it's not a name. bill... Yeah, he said it's not a bill. He said um, he said he knows he would not have anywhere near the signatures he needed to get it to pass the House, let alone to get it through the Senate. Uh, so it is not a bill. It was just a, a printed kind of declaration of what we, the undersigned, and there were 34 who joined him to the governor saying what well, we want to be done for our districts and for the state of Ohio. Uh, but it's not anything that would be legally binding. It's not something that would be a proposed law because it's not even an official bill. It was just more of kind of a you know symbolic type of gesture. Uh, to the governor, which I support, and thank you for the call, Gail, which I completely and wholeheartedly support. Um, I, and in fact, I wish it would have been a bill, but as he said, look, and as you said, um, term limited representatives and state senators have no reason to answer to their constituents. They can't, they don't have to face the voters again and ask for their votes. They're term limited. So what are they looking for? Their next job. And they're looking for appointments at the state government level from people like Governor Mike DeWine. And so they're certainly not going to cross Mike DeWine in order to uh, appease uh, voters that they just don't care about anymore. And I'm sorry to say it that way. And, yes, I'm calling out the Republican Party as well. State Republican Party. I'll tell you this. Seriously, the Republican Party of Ohio, you owe it to all Ohioans who continue to give you the power at the state level the state assembly has been controlled by Republicans for a very long time. And, of course, we elected another Republican governor, first Kasich and now this one. Look, you owe it to us to get your membership in the uh, state House and state Senate to start representing us. 
and tell them to get off of their rear ends, stop worrying about their own futures, and worry about the futures of the constituents they're supposed to represent. The joblessness that is now one million strong in the last five, six weeks alone in the state of Ohio, over a million actually, businesses shuttered forever, you owe it to us to get them off of their A's. Get them off of their A's and get them into uh, the governor's office, get them into Labcoat's office, demanding that the state of Ohio be allowed to go back to work. Demanding that the people of the state of Ohio be allowed to be free. Back with person now after this. All right, it's uh, 935. Thanks again for being with us. I, I, I got to tell you, um, this, these are some of the hardest shows that I've ever had to do these last few days. And the reason why is, in a normal circumstance, I would be all over the FBI and James Comey and the rest of those bad actors for what they did to General Michael Flynn that we are finding out more and more about right now. But instead, I'm ignoring the story. In a normal circumstance, I would be all over the media's extraordinary, unbelievable, unimaginable double standard when it comes to covering the far more credible I don't know if it's true, but it's far more credible allegations of sexual assault against Joe Biden compared to the way they covered the allegations, which had no credibility and no corroboration whatsoever against Brett Kavanaugh. I would be all over that. I'd be spending hours on those things. I'd be having guests on uh, from uh, a host of places, a variety of places to discuss those things. I'm ignoring that story, too. I'm ignoring so many things because the only thing that I'm concerned about right now are Ohioans. I'm concerned about you. I'm concerned about me. I'm concerned about all people who are impa- impacted by Dr. Labcoat and uh, Governor Mike DeWine's deci- decisions to keep moving the goalposts and keeping the state of Ohio closed, robbing you of an opportunity to earn a living, pay your bills, and uh, live freely, which we were once allowed to do in this state and in this country. So we're going to stay on that. Lieutenant Governor Husted scheduled to join me at 1010 today, and I'm hopeful that he is a big boy and willing to keep the appointment. Mike DeWine said he's a big boy and can handle the criticism, but then declined the interview. So we'll see what happens with Lieutenant Governor Husted coming up at 1010. Right now at 935, though, let's get to Peter Kersenow, who's back for an encore appearance this week. His schedule is light enough for him to come on and address a few things for us. He, of course, is our regular Tuesday guest, Peter Kersenow, from the United States Commission on Civil Rights. And, of course, he is a Cleveland-based attorney as well. Uh, Pete, good to have you back, my friend. How are you? Hey, I'm glad to be back, and uh, given the status of the economy and everything else, I'm doing well comparatively, so I'm, I'm just very fortunate and blessed to, you know, be healthy, um, have an income, because there are more than 30 million Americans who, as of today, don't have an income, and as we've discussed before, it's my position and has been for a considerable period of time now that we are witnessing uh, the greatest peacetime public policy blunder of all time and and i mean that sincerely i this is extraordinary what's happening and as we discussed initially you know when you're facing an unknown and uncharted waters and you're not sure what happens and you're getting reports that 2.2 million people are going to die in america you know and a number of other reports from purportedly credible agencies you know um taking a um very conservative, cautious approach made sense, but the evidence began accumulating very quickly that 
coronavirus was limited to certain demographics, that it wasn't necessarily as lethal as people expected by a long shot. Not even close. And yet we're using a, you know, a sledgehammer when a scalpel will get the job done. So this is doing untold damage to so many people. And I, I, you know, I feel badly for them. As a labor and employment lawyer, I see this on the front line, see so many people being laid off. I had predicted to a lot of folks, including you, that this thing was going to be such an enormous catastrophe, and we were doing it with our, our eyes closed. But at this point, elected officials need to really reconsider where they're going with this. This is, this is astonishingly dumb. I can't put it any other way. Yes, are there risks? Absolutely. And we're not blind to them, and we're not being callous to them. None of us are. But we also understand that there are enormous costs to this that apparently aren't being factored in. And you're being, if, if you dare, as you do quite often, Bob, um, and others dare to raise those issues, you are excoriated. You're attacked as being, you know, uh, inhuman or inhumane and, uh, you know, callous, as I indicated before. This is, this is extraordinary what's happening here, and we need to rectify it. I was listening to uh, Dennis Prager yesterday, and um, his phrasing of this, I'm going to butcher because I didn't, you know, I was driving, actually. Ooh, sorry, Governor Dwine, I left my home. Um, and um, the way he phrased it was better than this, but I'm just going to go ahead and paraphrase it. He said, freedom and um, living risk-free are not compatible. Um, literally, we can ensure our safety and our security if we are literally locked into and this is my phrasing now totally um if we are locked into a plastic bubble a germ-free environment free of any criminals that can harm us free of any traffic accidents that can harm us free of germs and contagions that can kill us we can live that way safely and risk-free but we would not be free to do other things. We would not be literally willing to live free. So we cannot live freely in America or anywhere else in the world without some element of risk. Literally waking up and walking out of your home every day involves risk, whether there's a contagion in the air or not. And our leaders need to decide whether we want our people to be free or to be risk-free. But they cannot be both at the same time. We cannot be risk-free and also have freedom and liberty. Pete, your thoughts? Well put, well put, and I think they need to define right now what's their calibration of risk. In other words, tell us what it is that causes you to readjust and reopen the various states. What's that level? Is it 100 deaths? Is it 1,000 deaths? Is it 10,000 deaths? Is it so many hospitalizations? We get this moving target, and it's so amorphous. It's whatever they say it is. And I agree with you with respect to liberty and freedom. Uh, look, we are human beings. It even goes beyond being an American. As human beings, life is a matter of risk, and life is a matter of having some freedom. I mean, if we were in hermetically sealed tubes, having everything supplied to us, and we are completely free of any kind of danger, any kind of virus, any kind of contagion, even an assault, well, we'd stay alive probably for quite some time. We'd be alive but not living. This is, um, I don't know what's going on here. And what troubles me, Bob, is, and I don't mean to be confessing, you know, <laughs> deep-seated consciousness here, uh, the, the reflections of my soul, but one of the things that bothers me is in taking into consideration the various risks and the tragedies of people dying, it bothers me that Americans 
would so quickly give up rights and privileges without even much pushback. We're getting a little bit of pushback, obviously, you know, protests in Michigan, Ohio, other places of that nature. Mm -hmm. But it was, we were so willing to fall into line. And again, that was understandable at the very outset, maybe for the first week or two, when we were being told about these horrific consequences, if we didn't abide by all the prescriptions given to us by the governors and Fauci, etc. But, you know, we are sentient beings who can see what was happening. And the, the data is extraordinary. A lot of this, I think, with all due respect to those who still think we have to keep locked down or medically sealed, is I want to give them the benefit of the doubt that they may not have access to all the data because the media has done just an incredibly bad job. And when they haven't done a bad job, they have actively promoted a certain agenda. And you look at, you know, you've probably, I don't know if you've discussed on your show, Bob, the various prison studies that have been done, which are just eye-popping. You look at the stats there, 3,277 inmates were tested positive in four different prisons in Arkansas, North Carolina, Ohio, and I believe it was Virginia. 3,277, 96% of them tested positive, uh, strike that, 96% of those who tested positive for coronavirus had absolutely no symptoms whatsoever. 96%. And we know that this is confined almost overwhelmingly to the elderly population with underlying conditions, significant underlying conditions. You know, if you Let me interrupt my... that. Let me interrupt sure. that because I, I, I'm, I'm always looking for new ways to address this um, because people ask me all the time about this. So I'm going to ask you because you're much, much smarter than I. When you say, and you're right, don't you, you're, the stats you just gave were correct about the prison population, and the 96% of them show no symptoms. So in other words, this is not a big deal for the vast, 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 vast majority of people. The thing that we get, the pushback that we get when we quote that is, exactly, they'll say, these people are non-symptomatic, and free people also like them who, who have it and are non-symptomatic don't know that they can't go and see or touch or, or come into contact with other people who might be more vulnerable, like the older populations you were about to say. They'll use that as their justification, actually, for continuing the lockdowns uh, and the closure of public spaces because they don't want you non-symptomatic carriers to touch things that old people are going to touch later on. How do you respond to that? I responded, do you think we're idiots? I mean, this is extraordinary. I get that, Bob. I like and I've response. heard, I mean, <laughs> you know, the, the fact of the matter is we have, take your average businessman who desperately wants to open. I trust that guy's instincts far more than, with all due respect, Mike DeWine or anyone else, because his bottom line is contingent on his ability to draw people in based on their perception that he's providing a safe place. He is going to, I deal with these folks every day, Bob, he's going to bend over backwards to make sure his place is sanitized, that his workers are taken care of. He doesn't want the liability and he wants to attract customers. So these folks, they will be thinking outside the box to make sure that their enterprise is a welcoming, safe place for no other reason so that he can remain open. Will there be some exceptions? Absolutely. And that's risk. But what we do know, what we do know, what we do know is if we continue with the DeWine approach and some of these other approaches, that $30 million figure, which by the way, or 30 million unemployed figure, which, which is 
actually an undercount because it doesn't take into consideration a lot of people who are ineligible or haven't applied for unemployment benefits. I think it's well above that, including independent contractors, et cetera. But those people, we're talking 30, 40 million people and their families. We're well over 100 million people now. We've never seen anything remotely approaching it, and that's why I say this is the biggest peacetime public policy blunder in mankind's history, not just American history. And I'm willing to debate anybody who who argues otherwise. This is extraordinary. And our politicians, we expect that politicians are going to take the safest course, the most politically expedient course, and they're going to be following one another like sheep and not thinking outside the box. With all due respect, I don't mean to be pleading a broad brush with all politicians. Donald Trump is a pretty good exception to that, but everybody, even people beyond being politicians, think in those terms. So you're going to get the herd mentality from them, but at some point, the reason they get paid the big bucks is so they can make the hard decision. And I don't think hard decisions are being made. I, all due respect to them, think they're making the easy decision, which was redounding negatively to the vast majority of Americans. Pete, let's talk about who is making the decisions. Um, and this goes back to a question you were, you were asked by a caller on Tuesday uh, who wanted to know about Ohio Revised Code 3701.13. And um, you didn't know what it was at the moment. You, you suspected you did, but you didn't want to hazard a guess. Now you do know. Uh, I want to talk about Amy Acton's powers. And I want to talk about how and why it should be that someone who is an unelected official gets to make all of the decisions and cannot be challenged. She literally cannot be challenged even by the highest office holder in the land. Her order is, uh, is, is all encompassing and she is all powerful. And she states that at the beginning of each of these orders that she gives. In fact, let me just quote it real quick. Uh, Amy, I, Amy Acton, uh, MD, MPH, Director of the Ohio Department of Health, pursuant to the authority granted to me in RC 3701.13 to make special orders for preventing the spread of contagious and infectious diseases, <clears throat> etc. She has all of this power. She, Mike DeWine can't even contradict her orders. The only thing Mike DeWine could do is fire her and replace her with a different Director of Health. But the Director of Health is essentially running the state now and... Yeah state economics and business and employment and and other you know areas in that in that vein are not her area of expertise her expertise is only in health and yet she is making economic decisions and she's an unelected official what do we do yeah that's you know this is the subject of a much longer conversation and it would be a great conversation to have with our friend professor Jonathan Adler who's an expert on administrative law I know enough to be dangerous I've litigated some of these all the way up to the DC circuit uh this is an issue because what we're having here is these unelected bureaucrats it means they're not accountable to the people or it, to the extent they're accountable it's only by just an extreme extension because we could elect De- or uh, uh, throw DeWine out of office. Right. But for that period of time, he has essentially, uh, he hasn't abdicated. By, by virtue of the Ohio Revised Code, powers have been delegated to this particular bureaucrat to take extraordinary measures. And the only way we can hold her to account is by getting rid of DeWine. DeWine is the elected official, of course, who has the executive power authority. There are some constitutional and legal questions with respect to the extent to which 3-7, well, you know, you mentioned that uh, the, the sister, the nun, had called in about that, and I had a suspicion as to what she was getting at, but I wasn't exactly sure. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the day, all of the executive power resides within the executive. DeWine has got the ability, because you're like. He's the person who appoints these individuals. They all report to him. He has got the executive authority. We need to 
know, put more pressure, and maybe that's the, not the right word, but as citizens, we need to be very vocal about where we stand and the extent to which we're being hurt. It's a danger whenever, whether it's this case or any other cases, to delegate to the administrative folks the ability to affect our lives in such a profound way because there is at best a remote ability to affect their decisions, and we're seeing the consequence of that now. Um, This is not the way the Founding Fathers um, constructed our system of government. The administrative branch, if you want to put it that way, it's the fourth estate with respect to the government, has grown so big, and legislatures have, in my estimation, cowardly and lazily delegated way too much authority to them and to deflect attention and, and responsibility from themselves, and we are suffering as a result of that. Peter, um, I want to follow up with one other question, but obviously you hear the music as do I. Can you stick for a few minutes? Sure can. Okay, good. We'll finish up uh, this hour with Peter Kersenow. Then again, at 1010 this morning, right after the top of the hour break, we will have Lieutenant Governor John Husted, and uh, we'll discuss uh, much more of this with him as we continue on AM 1420 The Answer. Okay, 9.56 now. We've got four minutes left with Peter Kirsten out. Top of the hour news, followed by Lieutenant Governor John Husted. You're going to want to be here for that conversation. I promise you, you do not want to miss that. Peter, um, I talked with the governor two weeks ago. I'm going to talk to the lieutenant governor uh, in a few minutes. Um, I value your wisdom and your insight uh, more than you know. Uh, and uh, I-, I want to know, if you were to have an audience with the governor of the state of Ohio, who is... Essentially, and I think you used the word abdicating uh, his power uh, to to the the lab coat to Dr. Amy Acton to kind of make all the decisions in this in this state. If you could sit down with the governor, what would you ask him, or what would you like to tell him if you could have a conversation? Uh, well, good. Well, thanks for for that. Um, I have to think about it a little bit. But the first thing I would do is say to the governor. Um, Please get all the facts and then educate the public because you've been scaring the public, not intentionally, okay? But you've made this thing seem far more deadly than it is. And we know if you're under the age of 45, you have a greater chance, well, I'm being somewhat uh, exaggerating a little bit, but you're about more likely to be hit by lightning than to die from coronavirus. Yes, this this is a serious disease. You take it seriously. But there are a lot of serious diseases out there, and we don't shut down the government because of it. I say educate the public first so that they won't be scared, so they won't be concerned about going into establishments that you have by virtue of your actions, not intentionally necessary, necessarily, but made it appear as if they were threats to people's health and safety. Number two, educate them about demographics and take a surgical approach to any kind of uh, not shutdowns, but any kind of precautions that you take. Because, for example, schools are not in jeopardy. I know that takes a risk, but we have now the data on this. This is amazing. We have got data. Schools are not in jeopardy here. And the businesses that may you know, be a little bit more uh, problematic, those can be dealt with with respect to sanitation and making sure that all kinds of precautionary measures are taken. Help the, con- the um, state open up, not think about how can we shut this down and take a surgical approach, protect people who are in nursing homes, people who are 80 and 90 years old, because if you look at the data again, if you're in your 60s, yeah, you're more likely to get it than if you're in your 30s, which is almost unlike, almost um, uh, rare beyond belief. 
But um, it's really about people who are in their 70s and 80s with underlying conditions. Educate the public about it. Take a surgical approach. Protect people who are in nursing homes. Help the hospitals open up. We've got hospitals that have beds that are empty, that are furloughing people. This is astonishingly stupid on steroids. I'm sorry for being so impassioned, but millions are being hurt. I see it every day in my practice. I've got to deal with people who are being laid off. These poor individuals, they don't even know if they're going to be able to come back at the end of the day. Unemployment compensation benefits do not compensate for the psychological harm of not knowing whether or not you're going to have a job on an ongoing basis. This is extraordinary what's happening, and we're using a kid gloves approach to these politicians. They are sitting up there, okay, maybe they're doing their best, they think they're doing their best, but with the, they've got responsibility. They took on this job. With the accumulation of all the information and data that we have, they better get it right. Communicate with the responsible individuals, people who know things, give people optimism, and give people options. We are Americans. We are Ohioans. We deserve to have that freedom and latitude, and we are smart enough to navigate this very dangerous time. But frankly, as I said before, at the end of the day, it's becoming more and more apparent. It's not as dangerous as we, what we were led to believe, and the damage that we're done doing is unparalleled. So, Mr. DeWine, put on the big boy pants with all due respect. I have nothing against this individual, but put on the big boy pants, make a couple of hard decisions. One other thing, Bob, tell us what the bottom line here is. We keep having a moving target as to when we're going to reopen, and what are your triggering factors? Is it 10 deaths per day? If it falls to 10 deaths, is it 20 deaths? Is it 30 deaths? What is it and why? Tell us that. Because every day, people die in this country and in this state from a variety of reasons. And in the midst of what we're told is one of the great pandemics of the last 200 years, the overall death rate in this country is actually lower at this point in time than it was last year, the year before that, and the year before that. But we didn't crash the economy when those right. things happened. Peter, I can see why uh, you would not get an audience with Mike DeWine any more than I'm likely to at this point, because <laughs> he's not going to want to hear or have to answer for any of that. Peter, thank you, my friend. God bless. Thank you, Bob. Peter Kirsten now joining us on AM 1420. The answer, the lieutenant governor of the state of Ohio, John Husted, scheduled to join me next on AM 1420. The answer.